Stefan. What's going on, my brother? Hey, brother, man. Guess what we're talking about today? Uh, mortgages? Oh, wow. That, that was a really lucky guess, bro. Like, I swear, you, you're probably a part-time psychic and you just haven't told me. Yeah, well, you know, I make a little money on the side. <laughs> you're going to have to put me on. All right. Well, today on the Real Estate Think Tank, that's what we're talking about. You ready to do this? I'm ready. Let's go. State Think Tank, Tret. We are up to Can You Believe It? No Pets, episode eight. Episode eight. That's pretty cool. We are cranking them out, dude. We're going to be uh, we're going to be the next uh, Rogan. <laughs> we're going there, right? We're really trying <laughs> yes. to get there, straight to the top. Yes, straight sir. To yes, top. sir. I like that. I like that. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. We have a very, very important as well as interesting uh, podcast for you guys today. It's very critical if you are serious about buying real estate, investing in real estate, and unless you have a, uh, a vault full of money you swim around in like Scrooge McDuck, you will be needing a mortgage. But before we get to that, my brother, no pets, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing A-OK. The uh, diet's going well. The workout's going well. Um, I'm happy to be working on this podcast. You know, we're really moving forward. We got some good momentum. What started out as a New Year's resolution is turning into something that has some legs. So I'm very, very happy about that. And as always, there's a lot of interesting things to talk about in the market. Always, always, always. That's what's beautiful about real estate. Uh, I myself, um, unfortunately, you know, you named some things that I'm having the opposite feelings about because uh, I'm still. Um, you're procrastinating on that whole diet and exercise thing. So yeah, we're going to tighten up with that because ultimately your health is your number one wealth and number one asset. So yeah, we're going to tighten that up. But otherwise, you know, I'm still out here grinding and still working hard and working hard with you and looking to make sure we can help bring another great episode to the people chock full of information and uh, maybe a laugh or two here and there. And uh you know, make sure people can be informed and make informative decisions to the best of our abilities. Definitely. I'm kind of glad we're coming back to earth a little bit, not because I don't love the esoteric, you know, I can do numbers and securities. I can do that all day, but I really do believe that every now and then we need to check in with the ground level real estate investors and people who are looking to purchase and people who are just trying to get into the real estate market, whether it's a refinance, it's a purchase, it's buying your first home, buying multiple properties. You know, we definitely have the ability to go very, very deep on certain topics, but it's also good just for our casual listener, just to give them information that they can apply and use and definitely understand and interpret. So like I mentioned in the beginning, you know, we're definitely going to talk about mortgages because it's a very crucial part of acquiring real estate, whether it's for investing or personal use or just you you want to help build up the community. And mortgages are very important. So, uh, you know, let's get right into it. We have found there are nine different types of mortgages that we're going to break down and their various uses. And um, we're going to give credit to sites that we have gained some information from. Just to name a few, uh, we've got NerdWallet, we've got Business.org, we also have Bankrate, and of course, we cannot forget all the wonderful work that's being put in by Mr. No Pets here at the Real Estate Think Tank. Now, I'm definitely going to make sure I jump in there and um, contribute as well, because um, why not? I mean, that's what that's what partners do, right? Exactly. And if anyone is interested in submitting an article to the Real Estate Think Tank, by all means, let me know. We're happy to take guest writers. You're going to be seeing something from uh, Conrad in the near future, but we're also happy to hear and field multiple perspectives on the real estate market. And all you have to do is just reach out to us at info at 
therealestatethinktank.com. And we're happy to field your requests. Info at therealestatethinktank.com. Let's go, people. Let's get these requests in and uh, let's get some guest appearances on this blog here. It's Okay, so yes, there are many different mortgage types, and the reality is we have uh, nine that will be for the residential side, and we'll touch on a few on the commercial side as well. So get your pens, get your papers, get your popcorn, get your beverage, and uh, listen up, take some notes, because this will definitely help you get along. But, um, you know, I just love doing this. I don't know why. Let's go ahead on and give our favorite disclosure of uh this is for informational and entertainment purposes only. We are not your lawyer. We are not your agent, though we can be. And we definitely advise you to make sure that you are doing your due diligence, your research, and seeking the counsel of well-qualified individuals in your area to make sure that you are up to date with the current laws and status and any changes that might have taken place in your area. So, Mr. Lawyer, do you have anything to add to clean that up for me? That's perfect, man. The only thing I'm going to add is we're not proceeding in such a way as to solicit the purchase or sale of any security. And please retain a knowledgeable broker and or securities professional in your local market to do such activities, to conduct such business. Now, if you need security, you know, I'm kind of a big dude. So, I mean, maybe you can hire me on the side, you know, do a little security. But I second what he said. Yes, definitely. But if you need security, hey, you know, we, we maybe could work something out. Okay. So, we have many types of mortgage loans. We're going to go over a few. Um, some are designed to appeal to certain borrowers in certain situations, others for others. So, we're going to kick this off with the, uh, the I guess... I'm sure you'd agree, uh, Nopez, this is, the, this is probably the, the number one product used for individuals acquiring either a property to live in or an investor that wants to keep his cost at a fixed rate, especially if he can get a great rate. And that's going to be the 30-year fixed rate mortgage. Yeah, definitely. This is the go-to for uh, most home buyers. And it, it, like you said, if it's an investor and they can get a low enough rate, then they're going to go with it as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, the 30-year fixed rate mortgage is a home loan with an interest rate that's set for the entire 30-year term. Now, that's important. Make a note of that, at least mentally, because we're going to discuss other situations where the interest rate will not be set for the entire term. It kind of bounces around. We'll get into that. So like we've already discussed, this is definitely uh, the most popular home loan. Um, There are definitely pros and cons to that. We can get into that in a minute. Uh, Your interest rate will never change. That can be viewed as a pro or a con. So, you know, that's definitely, it's important to consider your personal situation and what kind of things you have going on. Typically, the monthly payment will be lower than with a shorter term loan, like the next one I will talk about here in a minute, and that's the 15 year. So typically these are best for home buyers who want the lower monthly payment that comes from stretching out repayment over a long period of time. The fixed rate makes the payment predictable. A 30 year fixed rate offers the flexibility to repay the loan faster by adding to monthly payments. So let's go ahead on and break this down a little bit. You know, your your payment isn't going to change, but I guess it's best that we talk a little about amortization, which is so funny. I could not say that word like a couple of years ago, but yes, amortization. What What's that, uh, Stefan? Amortization is the uh, breaking up of payments over the life of the loan. So if you have a 30-year loan with interest, you have to factor in how much interest you're going to incur over the life of the loan yearly or and or monthly. And then you're going to have to realize that over time, the balance is going to get smaller and smaller. And there are a number of calculations you can use to do this. And you get that total amount that's going to be paid over the time, given all of that. And then you break it up into equal payments over the life of the loan. So if it's 30 years, it's 360 payments because it's 12 payments a year times 30 years, 360. So that's what amortization is. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, especially when I was obtaining my license, they made us learn all this. So what I really found interesting about amortization is I think about it conceptually in my head like a seesaw. So in the beginning of this loan, let's just use some round numbers. So let's say your payment is $1,000 a month. In the beginning, the seesaw is high with interest because literally when you make that $1,000 payment in the first couple of years, 
we're going to just roughly say $990 out of that $1,000 goes to interest. You know, and this is why it's so important to make sure you're getting the best interest rate and you're understanding what kind of situation you're getting into. Because as the years go on and you say you get to the 15-year mark, so out of that $1,000, we started at 990 just interest. At the 15-year mark, now we're getting more to where the interest is now maybe, let's you know just guesstimate, about $600. And that means $400 actually goes to the principal. Then we start getting towards year 2025, 20, 28. Now the seesaw flips where the bulk of that payment actually goes to the principal and very little goes to the interest. But the good and bad, depending on where you're where you're at in your situation, is your payment always remains the same. That seesaw effect comes within the payment. So make sure you understand that. It's it's not on top of it's it's thousand dollars a month for 30 years, 360 payments, but how much of that payment is going to interest and how much goes to the principal is actually what flexes or fluctuates in that 30-year payment. So anything else you want to add before we talk about uh, this 15-year? No, that's a very good example. Now, the 15-year, which is uh, half of the 30-year, this is a fixed-rate mortgage as well, and it has an interest rate that remains the same over its life term, which is 15 years, just like the 30-year. Now, this is often used for refinancing. Sometimes people want to make a bigger payment and pay down the mortgage faster. So in contrast, that 30-year mortgage might give you a payment of $1,000. The 15-year mortgage might give you a payment of $1,500. And it's it's a shorter term, so the payment is bigger. But what happens sometimes is the interest rate actually is a little bit lower. The bank is taking a risk when they give you a loan. So the bank has a little bit higher risk with waiting 30 years to get their money back. So the interest rate is going to be a little bit higher to kind of offset their risk. With a 15-year, since it's half the time, they can afford to charge you a little bit less of an interest rate because you're a little bit less of a risk, if that makes sense to everybody. Now, we already did go over the fact that the monthly payment is higher, but the interesting part is you're actually paying less interest because the loan is shorter. Now, these are usually best for refinancers and home buyers who want to build equity and pay off the loan faster. Now, payments are predictable because the interest rate doesn't change, just like 30-year. And because the borrower pays interest for fewer years, the total interest payments are less. So now the first two we've talked about have been fixed rate products. One was a 30-year, one was a 15-year. The 30-year had a little bit higher interest rate, but longer payment plan, you know, 30 years, 360 payments. So payment was smaller, 15-year, higher payment, lower interest rate. But now we have adjustable rate mortgages. So an adjustable rate mortgage is a home loan with an initial rate that's fixed for a specified period. Then it adjusts periodically. For example, a 5-1 ARM, which is the acronym for adjustable rate mortgage, has an interest rate that is set for the first five years, then adjust annually. So that's the second number in the five slash one. So when you're looking at an adjustable rate mortgage, you'll see five slash one, for an example, and an arm adjustable rate mortgage. So for the first five years, you have a set or fixed rate. But after that five year period, every year or annually, that interest rate will go up or go down based on some factors like the federal funds rate and, you know, some of the other things that we can get into in a little bit. There's a seven one, which is very popular. Um, there are also, there's a list of ARM products that you can look at on the uh, realestatethinktank.com. One year is usually the uh, typical adjustment period. You can go up to three years or even 15 year adjustment periods, but one year is the most typical. Um, whenever you see a five one or certain type of number with an adjustment period, you're talking about a hybrid arm. Hybrid arms are the most popular of the uh, arms because they have a fixed period and then they have a fluctuating period. The fixed period comes first and then it fluctuates for the rest of the term of the loan. A traditional or pure arm always fluctuates and that's not as popular. That is what was around initially, but then once the hybrids came into vogue, the traditional arm just went out the window. 
Okay, great. So I'd like to point out the fact that, you know, what you're initially getting usually is a teaser rate, and it's usually lower than on most other loans, uh, given comparatively lower monthly payments at first. Now, this is really important for, uh, I guess, a couple reasons. You know, number one, if you're going to start off, let's use a 5-1 because I just like that number. So for five years, you're going to get locked into a rate that is typically going to be lower than the going current rate. So why this is a good situation, you might ask, is the fact that if you plan on not living in that property more than five years and you know you're either going to sell or refinance, this is a great opportunity to save money initially and then get into another loan product that will allow you to have that either fixed rate or, you know, for the 30 year or the 15 year. It's also great for investors that definitely want to have that lower payment at first and build up their equity and their capital. And then in five years, they can go ahead on and lock in some traditional financing like that 30 year rate, where then that way they have a predictable rate. And if I'm not mistaken, sometimes a product like an arm is a little bit easier to get because it comes with a little more risk. Does that make sense, uh, Notepads? At one point, it was super easy to get. But like you said, it, it's riskier. So the whole reason why people get into arms, for the most part, obviously everybody has a different situation, is that teaser rate and that fixed period. You might be able to afford a payment of 2000 a month. And 2000 a month might get you a certain level of house given the interest rate that's fixed, right? right. So you can then get into an arm with a teaser rate that's lower than that fixed rate. And if it's a 7-1 arm, you can lock in those payments for seven years at a lower rate. So what does that mean? That means that $2,000 a month payment that you can afford can now get you a larger house, a more expensive house. And so for seven years, you can live in this more expensive house. And then in year seven, the rate's going to go up by by a certain amount, given the you know the cap and the floor and given the collar. So you, it's not going to go up a hundred percent, obviously, but it's going to go up, and it's going to fluctuate based on an index. And so, what may have been affordable in years one through seven may not be affordable thereafter. But you at least have the time to figure out what you're going to do while living in this house. That's where the arm comes in. That teaser rate is is the uh, the selling point. The reason why you would get a 30-year fix is because that's probably your standard. That's your plain vanilla. That's what you're going to qualify for right away. And the reason why you would why you would want to go after a 15 but may not be able to do so is if you can afford $2,000 a month and you go after that 15, the payment on a 15-year mortgage, because it's a shorter term, even though it's a lower interest rate, it's a shorter term, that $2,000 a month you can afford is going to get you less of a house because it's a higher payment. And so- a lot of people settle with the or stick with the 30 year, but if they have a little bit of risk tolerance or they just really want a house and it's out of their range on that 30 year, they may want to go down to the uh, teaser rate at the arm and see what they can do for that fixed period. See if they can either increase their earning potential or refinance out because there's equity or just find some other exit strategy. Now, you mentioned some terms that I definitely wanted to get into. Let's start off with the floor, the cap, and, and the collar. Let's, let's, uh, let's do some educating for those who might not be uh, aficionados yet. So explain those to me. How does that work? Explain that to us. Arms fluctuate based on an index. So if you're going to have a payment that moves up and down, it's going to move up and down based on something. And there are some uh, popular indices like the 11th district rate. We also have the uh, the federal funds rate. Federal Don't funds rate, thank one. you. The mm. T-bill as well. We have the uh, one-year treasury as well. Um, there are a number of indices. LIBOR is a very popular one for any older mortgage. And as you will see, most uh, lenders are moving away from LIBOR because the Fed has strongly suggested, if not mandated, that everyone do so by 2022. That has affected all of the uh, new lending. Fannie and Freddie have mandated that by 2022, you should have moved away from LIBOR. But that said, all these uh, indices determine where the payment goes. And then there is a spread above that, that determines how much above the index you're going to pay. 
And because it fluctuates, there's usually a limit to how much it can fluctuate. Because if you go from like a teaser rate that's really low and the payment goes up or the, uh, the difference between the teaser rate and the actual index plus that spread is, let's say, six percentage points. That is a huge payment shock. And most people would not be able to make that up. So what happens is they have what you call a collar. And that collar makes it so that the payments can't go up any higher than a certain amount in the adjustment period, no matter how high or low the index jumps. And that way you don't have too much of what you call a payment shock. So that's what the collar is. It's the limit that in any given adjustment period, the payment can raise or lower. Then you have a rate cap. That's the highest over the entire lifetime of the mortgage that a payment can adjust. So if your cap is at 8%, it doesn't matter what the index does, and your rate's not going to go above 8%. Then you have a floor. The floor is the lowest it can go. This is more a risk measure for the banks in case the bottom drops out of the interest rate market. If your floor is four, it doesn't matter how low the index goes. You cannot go below 4% on your arm. We use the term that I like to break down, LIBOR. That's an acronym. It actually stands for London Interbank Offered Rates. Now, like uh, Stefan mentioned earlier, here in America, and I believe also even in London, they're starting to move away from that. But for a very long time, what that was, was the rate of interest that banks charge each other to lend money to each other in the wholesale money market in London. Now, I believe, you know, we were talking about this, London's rate was used here in America to help offset when the dollar fluctuated to make sure that there wasn't too much risk when the dollar would fluctuate and just to keep the rate tethered to something else other than the dollar. Am I saying that correctly? That's the idea behind it. The reason why LIBOR was used so frequently is because it was tied to a lot of securities, right? So that's where the practice came from. That said, what it allowed you to do is it allowed you to have a rate that was internationally accepted that was not necessarily tied to the dollar. So if we had inflation here, if we had fluctuations in our currency or in our market, the mortgage itself wouldn't fluctuate. So the idea was that was a very stable rate that everyone used. And a lot of the world banks were able to chime in on the direction of LIBOR. And it was also based on the currency markets of five of the most traded currencies in the world. So it was very much thought of as like a global type of rate. And it allowed you to get away from the dollar in case anything was going on with the dollar. But you can finish the story. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So that's definitely um, what's being said is we're, we're getting away from that, especially since we live in America anyway. It's kind of funny. We needed to use something outside of America in order to track what our indexes or what our rates we should be charging here is. But, um, you know, we've given lots of good information. I like to give an example just to help people, you know, understand the fact that the index rate can change, but that margin, that spread above the index rate, that stays the same. So, for example, let's say the index rate is 5%. That's what banks are charging each other to lend money. So now if banks are going to lend you money, they got to put a margin or a spread on top of that in order to make money. So let's go ahead on and say that margin is 2%. That means when you got a mortgage, your mortgage would be 7% because you have 5% of the index plus the 2% margin. Now, please note, a 2% margin means your credit's probably pretty good. If your credit isn't that great, that margin is going to be bigger because you're a higher risk. So we have the 7% mortgage rate. Now, let's say that that index actually was 2%. Well, the spread is still 2%, so your mortgage rate would be 4%, if that makes sense. Stefan definitely already discussed the caps and the collars and the floors. And yeah, let me just let me just jump in real quick. That spread, yeah, right. by the way, that's called an index value. I didn't say that in my part, so I didn't want to continue not saying that. The spread above the index that you're paying on your mortgage that Kyra just described is called an index value. There you go. Index value. We have um, touched a lot on adjustable rates. Let's wrap this up because we definitely have some more to get into. We went over the initial teaser rate. We also even discussed the fact that initial rates can often be locked in for one, five, seven, or 10 years. And we've also mentioned that these are 
best for home buyers who don't plan on having the mortgage for a long time or who believe that interest rates will be lower in the future. Now, because we are right now basically at all-time lows, that's really interesting because from here on forward, rates probably going to go up. So now we're going to touch on some of the more um, traditional ways to attain a mortgage. And we're going to start with the FHA mortgage, the Federal Housing Administration. Very, very popular loan. Uh, These loans are backed by the government and designed to help borrowers of more modest means buy a home. So if you don't have a whole lot of money and you're not wealthy, this is definitely a loan that can help you. What's beautiful is it allows for a down payment as low as 3.5%. Now, that's really important because let's use a round number, $100,000. If you want to buy a property, let's say for investing, the minimum that I've seen is 20%. So 20% of $100,000 would be $20,000. Now, if you're going to use an FHA mortgage, 3.5%, which is $3,500. Big difference. Also, credit scores as low as 500 can qualify. Hey, guys. Give me a holla. The realtor down here in Charlotte, North Carolina, 500 credit score. This is something beautiful. You know, I can help you attain these products and get into a great mortgage. There's definitely some terms that we need to look at, but um, this is definitely information that, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would love to hear and take advantage of. The mortgage insurance premium payments are required. That is also known as MIP. This is a premium that's paid on your mortgage when you have less than that 20%. So essentially, the bank makes you, on top of your mortgage, pay another payment for an insurance premium, which basically is insurance for if you default on this loan, since you have less skin in the game at just 3.5% instead of 20%, this mortgage insurance premium that you're paying for on top of your mortgage will give the bank money in case you default. So that's very good, but that's one of the downsides to paying less than that 20%. It's a more of a risk to the bank. So this is how they mitigate that risk by making you pay for insurance on their mortgage. So this loan is typically best for borrowers with lower credit scores and a down payment less than 20%, like we've already discussed. This is the best way for you to enter into the residential market, especially if you intend to buy your first home. I believe there's a three-year limit though. So if you haven't owned property for three years, you can also use an FHA. So it's not just for first-time home buyers. It's just for people who haven't owned property in a certain amount of time. If you're doing it correctly, it's not an investor loan. This is for the purchase of an owner-occupied property. And I mean, obviously, if you do a multifamily FHA, then you can also have other people helping you with the mortgage payment. But that said, the crux of it is if you're buying a single family house with an FHA, this is your house that you're going to live in. Now, what I'm going to add to that for those of us who might not have done a lot of research is slightly different from what NoPets was saying, because once again, I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm giving you an example of what you can do. So from what I understand, you can acquire these mortgages. You can live in the property for one year. And then one year and one day later, you're able to move out from that property, which means after that year that you've lived in that property that you've acquired for only 3.5% down, you can now put a renter in there. And it's perfectly legal. Once again, make sure you're checking with your local regulations and your lawyers and your attorneys, but this actually is a way on the creative side. If you are willing to move year after year, you're able to actually give this property to another tenant or to a tenant that they can now pay your mortgage. And hopefully there's a spread there where you can actually see a net profit. In that case, by all means, definitely uh, go ahead and, and use that loophole there. But understand that the idea is that you're going to be living there for a year and that these mortgages are meant for you to stay where you are initially. And then, you know, obviously you'll figure it out later. And like Karma said, you have to give up a year of your life. All that said, you're not going to be able to move out of that FHA property, no matter how long it is, and then go get another FHA. As long as you have that FHA mortgage on that property, you're done with FHA until such time as you go three years without owning another property. 
We have touched on the FHA mortgage. Now, here's a great one for if you have served in the military. This is the VA mortgage. This is the Veterans Affair Mortgage. Uh, VA loans are mortgages backed by the Department of Veteran Affairs and are available to military service members and veterans. A couple of the benefits are there's no down payment required. That's awesome. You served your country. Salute to everybody who's definitely been out here serving the country, protecting our freedoms. Yes, sir. And this is definitely one of the benefits to being in the military is you can get a VA mortgage. Upfront VA funding fee is required, which you can definitely see charts online and talk to your VA brokers regarding that. And no mortgage insurance. So it's just like we mentioned MIP, which was the mortgage insurance premium paid on top of your uh, your mortgage. You know, with a VA mortgage, there is no mortgage insurance. So once again, these are best for military qualified borrowers who appreciate a low interest rate and no down payment minimum. Really good stuff. Got anything to add to that one? No, that's really good product. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Awesome. So we've also now got the USDA mortgage. USDA home loans are mortgages backed or issued by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. So there's definitely information online that you should look at regarding loans and eligibility requirements. But some of the features are no down payment is required on most properties. Home improvement loans and grants are also available. Income limits and property value caps do apply. Now, this is typically best for income qualified buyers in rural and some suburban areas who want to low a zero down payment. So um, what can you tell us about USDA mortgages? So this is very much an underutilized product because people think that it's just about farming and farmland and Mm -hmm. rural um, development. But there are a lot of, as it says, suburban tracks that fall into the purview of this type of mortgage. The one thing you will not have is um, have this in a city. So if you look at the USDA mortgage map, all the cities are, are blocked out. But a place that you may have considered a little bit more suburban or a little more urban in your estimation, but that's far enough away from a, a major metropolitan area could fall under this loan. This is also a way to acquire a property that is zoned commercial. Some of these properties that uh, fall under the USDA mortgage are actually zoned commercial, but they're eligible for this type of mortgage uh, so long as it's owner-occupied. If it applies to your situation and it applies to your area, this is a great way to obtain a property for little to no money down. And what the USDA is doing is they're just basically trying to encourage rural development. If you're willing to to move into these areas, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, there, you know, there's a lot of great areas. There's actually some, there's a lot of uh, areas that have very high median incomes that fall within this USDA map. Then it's a it's a great product. It's something you definitely should not write off. If you have a property and you're not really certain, just go ahead and check the USDA map and see if a USDA mortgage works for you. And it might change or make a deal that you thought either was going to be expensive or wasn't possible. Good stuff. Sounds really good to me. I I remember when I was first getting started in real estate, I definitely downplayed and wasn't as aware of how awesome those loans are. So the next one we're going to talk about is the jumbo mortgage. Now, no, this is not a mortgage that somebody like me who's kind of jumbo needs. No, ha, ha, ha. This is actually a mortgage above a certain dollar amount. So a jumbo loan, um, the limits vary by by county and are adjusted periodically. So definitely look online for this year's loan limits. Some of the features of this loan is they can have a fixed or adjustable rate. They do often require a credit score of 700 or higher, so maybe not eligible to any and everybody, usually requires a down payment of 10% or more. Now, these are typically best for buyers of expensive homes and owners who want to refinance jumbo size mortgages. So these are also loans that are typically a little bit more expensive because they're not backed by the conventional market. They're not typically purchased by Fannie and Freddie. And so because of that, you're going to find a little bit of a higher rate. There are going to be some different underwriting criteria And the only reason why there's no more hard deadline that's set by Fannie and Freddie is because 
there are high uh, value areas that have a higher threshold for what a jumbo mortgage is. So it used to be in the past that there was a hard line that Fannie and Freddie set, and they said they were not going to accept mortgages above a certain amount. And that cut out any type of conventional lending in certain areas because the median house price was above that line. So to address that, there's a more nuanced approach to it. But if you are at the point where you're getting a jumbo mortgage based on your area, then you're more risky to the banks. And so there's going to be different criteria. You know, you should definitely realize there's a theme here. You know, when there's higher risk, just like with any loan or product, the bank is looking to charge more money because the risk is higher. When the risk is lower, then they don't have to charge you as much typically, especially when your credit score is good. So let's definitely keep that in mind. Let's definitely work on credit. This is something else that as a realtor with the connections that I have, I can definitely help you get in touch with a person that can help get your credit to a spot where you don't have to pay as high of the interest rate because you're less of a risk. So these are all things to consider. This is why we're here. This is why we're talking to you guys and bring you guys this great information. So I'd like to touch on something real quick. This is called a HELOC. You might've heard of it. It is a home equity line of credit. So a home equity line of credit or a HELOC is a type of home equity loan that allows you to draw funds as you need them and repay the money with a variable interest rate. As with the credit card, your available funds will replenish as you pay off your balance. A HELOC is a secured line of credit, so your home serves as collateral. Now, the best HELOC lenders offer lines of credit with competitive interest rates, low fees, and an easy online application. Current HELOC rates range between 2.62% and 21%, depending on the borrower's credit worthiness and other factors. To get the best rates, you'll have to get a high credit score, a low debt-to-income ratio, and a lot of tappable equity in your home. All that said, this is a misconception. These HELOCs, home equity loans, second mortgages, they can be foreclosed on just like any other mortgage. And you can lose your house to a HELOC. So keep that in mind. This is almost like the uh, the pet snake. You don't want the pet snake in your bed with you. You want to manage the pet snake. So it's a great way to tap into your home equity. It's a great way actually to start real estate investing. It's a great way to, to, to do any number of things. Although I'm, I'm of the mindset, if you're going to take money out of your house, then you should make money from it. But that said, you do want to manage it. You know, I'm going to take this time now to do a poor comedy routine because, of course, this is just how my brain works. So you sure about that, um, no pets? I think there's some people who might want that pet snake in the bed with them. Rim shot. Okay. Also, so I'm not done. I've got more. You know, just because of the times that we're in, we've talked about HELOC. And just to make everybody happy, maybe one day there will be a SHELOC. Okay. Just want to throw that out. There. So I mean, you know, just just trying to be equitable. So yes, you know, you definitely want to be equitable out there. You're right about yes. That. And you know what? Maybe I'll do this. You know, we've already had a he man. Let's do a she man, right? You know, let's just let's just go all out and make sure that everybody's happy. Well, that already exists. Shira exists. Let's just move right along into our next mortgage product, which is. Interest-only mortgages. Very, very interesting. Haha, <laughs> see what I did there? Okay, so an interest-only mortgage requires payments only on the interest charged. So the loan balance or principal is not, is not reduced during the interest-only payment period. Make sure you understand that. You know, these products that we talked about earlier, part of your payment is interest, part of your payment is principal. Interest-only is exactly what it says. Just interest is being paid against the loan. Nothing on the loan balance is being paid on, so the loan is not being reduced. Now, some highlights of this product is this can be appropriate for borrowers who are disciplined enough to make periodic principal payments. This is useful to home buyers who don't expect to remain in the house for the long term, and borrowers will have to show lenders substantial assets or a proven ability to pay. Now, this is best for borrowers with a high monthly cash flow, a rising income, large cash savings, or an income that varies from month to month. 
also for those who receive large annual bonuses that they can use to pay down the principal balance. There are typically two types of IOs. There's the interest-only arm, and then there's the actual traditional interest-only. The interest-only arm is you just pay interest during the initial period, and then it converts to an arm. These have definitely gone out of vogue after the financial crisis of uh, 2008, 2009, because a lot of what prompted that was the resets on these interest-only mortgages, which caused the payments to become much higher. And then all of a sudden, people couldn't afford their payments in their houses. The same thing with option arms, which used to exist, but are pretty much defunct at this point, where you could pick the payment you wanted. They, people would pick whatever payment they could afford. They get into these large houses, and then when they would, when the mortgage would reset or turn into an arm, the payment would skyrocket even off of a small amount of uh, increase, and then the house became unaffordable. So the interest-only arm has kind of gone out of vogue because, in response to that, there were a lot of disclosure laws passed, like TILA and revisions to RESPA and stuff like that, where you're going to have to disclose so much upfront about the final payment that it's almost cost prohibitive to lend. If these are going to default at a higher rate, lenders are going to have to come out of pocket. It almost doesn't make sense to underwrite these loans. The other one, which is the interest only, typically has a 10-year lifespan or 10-year term and has a balloon payment at the end. And for a number of reasons, this is not very popular in the residential markets. Much more popular in the commercial market, but definitely for residential properties, not a very popular product. Look at all this great information we provide to you guys. I hope you guys appreciate this. You know, this is definitely something that, you know, is in our blood. We love this. We love being able to inform people and hope you guys really appreciate it. I want to go ahead on and talk about now the fact that we've talked about the different types of mortgages that you're likely to encounter when buying a home. Here are four subsets of mortgage types that you might hear about along the way. So we have conventional mortgages, which lenders use the term conventional mortgage just to describe your Freddie Mac, your Fannie Mae, and you know all these entities that purchase mortgages you know, through the government, that's where your conventional mortgage, that terminology is going to come from. Now we have conforming mortgages. This is another industry term. It defines a mortgage that meets local loan limits as set by the government. So definitely some research needs to be done if you're interested in these conforming and non-conforming mortgages. Then you have government-backed mortgages, like we were talking about. These are loans guaranteed by the Department of Veteran Affairs, VA loans, um, federal housing Authority, FHA, insured loans, and loans backed or issued by Department of Agriculture, which we talked about earlier, the USDA loans. Now, there's one different loan that isn't going to apply to anybody under the age 62, and that's called a reverse mortgage. And just quickly, this is a way to unwind equity in a home as a lump sum payment or a stream of income. And like I said, it's for homeowners over the age 62. And it's really good when you're up in age. Because, you know, you're, you're not able to access this when you're younger. And it's a way just to get equity out of your property. And I'm pretty sure you're going to know this. Can they foreclose on your reverse mortgage? Yes, they can. They can. Okay. So this is definitely a product. You definitely want to make sure you have the ability to pay back. Now, you know, just to be funny, if you're, you know, over 62, you might say, hey, well, I'll kick the bucket soon anyway. But hey, that's that's not advice. That is just Entertainment purposes only. Let's remember this, people. Don't try to sue me later. Okay, so um, real that doesn't, quick, that, doesn't yes. that doesn't help you. It <laughs> helps you personally, but your affairs go on after you've passed away. Yes. Yeah, so see, keep that in mind. So um, real quick, um, no pets. How about I let you touch on the types of commercial loans for real estate? Yeah, we're going to whirlwind through this because we, oh, yeah. we don't want this to get too long. So there are a couple of types of commercial mortgage loans. For the most part, they kind of mirror the residential loans. I mean, you do have your long-term fixed interest. It's not going to be an FHA. It's going to be more of just a fixed rate over the life of a loan, typically uh, 20 or 30 years, but you can go five or 10 as well. You have your IOs or your interest-only loans. Those are way more popular in the world of a commercial, especially with large cap residential. 
a lot of those loans are interest only with 10 year balloons. And then every 10 years, they just refinance. Then there's also the hard money, which we didn't go over in the residential side, but it's there as well. It's basically a private lender giving you money more or less to fund the acquisition or the purchase of a property. And it's at astronomically higher rates than uh, most mortgages. But the idea is for you to get out of it as soon as possible. The hard money lender gets quick exposure and a quick interest rate payment, and you are able to acquire very quickly. There's a bridge loan. Typically, that's during acquisition as well. Um, It also can be used at the end of a loan term. Like if there's an interest-only loan that's ending with a balloon, you can get a bridge loan. These are help-me-save-me loans. There's a certain amount of money that you need and can't get anywhere else for an acquisition. Let's say there's about like $500,000 you're short on an acquisition or you know, you're know you $100,000 short on an acquisition. There's no other place to get it. You can go get a bridge loan. Let's say your balloon payment's coming up and you can't find a refi partner or the refi partner is going to need a little bit longer than expected. Then you go get a bridge loan. And because these are save me loans, they have astronomical rates as well. Um, construction loan. This is a loan that finances construction. Typically, it's a loan placed on a parcel or on a piece of raw land that has yet to be developed. And then there is a short term that allows you to finance the construction. And then there's certain like release points. And so, you know, you have to check in every now and then with the lender and they'll give you a little draw against the loan. And then you check back in a certain checkpoint and they give you a little bit more. So typically, you're not getting the full amount. They keep releasing the money until the construction project is finished and it either converts or it gets refinanced out. Hard money. That works like that too. Hard money. Yeah. Well, hard, hard money and construction are, are like cousins. Yeah. And they're very, they're very similar. And the blanket loan, which allows you to buy a parcel of land and then subdivide it based on individual sales. You finance this large purchase and maybe you have a bunch of lots and you develop them. And one by one, you release the lots as they're developed from the larger mortgage. So as you sell, you release a parcel out from the loan. And it's called a blanket because it's covering multiple parcels. Right. But it has the ability to release one by one. Also, blanket loans are found in um, co-op and condo developments where you can release a unit from the blanket. Those are the, the main types of commercial loans. I'm sure there's some other ones out there. There's also mezzanine financing, which I don't want to get into too much, but basically that's kind of like a bridge loan, but in a capital structure. If you're short in your financing and you need a little bit more to create the acquisition, they'll give you a mezzanine financing and then they'll just participate in the capital structure as opposed to just charging you an astronomical rate on the, like a blanket loan would, not blanket loan, like a um, bridge loan would. Now, I'm going to point this out because I know if I hear it, somebody else heard it too. He said he's not going to go too much into it, but he definitely went into it. So, yes, call him <laughs> out on that. Email the real estate think tank and say, thanks a lot because you said you wasn't going to go into that much. And now you filled my head with more wonderful, useful information that one day I'll get around to using. All right. Yeah, you're right about that. All right. So let me just jump into my, my market corner real quick. Yes. Yes. I took a look at, in researching for this up. Uh, this episode and realized that CNBC has an article on the market, on the real estate market. It's basically saying, Hey, uh, this is not a time for newbies to get into the real estate market. And you know what, when the retail news outlets have decided to start opining on real estate investment, that means everybody knows it. That means all of the, uh, all the juice is squeezed out of the orange and it is time to just hunker down. It's actually past time at this point to hunker down and look for that correction. So keep in mind, this could very much signal the beginning of the end. We have seen this before, right at the end of the bubble in the uh, mid 2000s. There was a lot of news outlets talking about real estate, a lot of shows on TV about real estate flipping. When everybody in the general populace knows about it, it's the same thing with Bitcoin. It's the same thing with with, uh, stock gains. It's already too late. Yeah. Yeah. This is, you know, I follow a lot of information like this and it's, it's definitely interesting, especially people in the know and people who were able to call this back in 2006, 2007, and were able to use their money in ways that allowed them to make lots and lots of money because they understood the market and they understood that it was time to make a move. You know, it's really interesting. And this is why 
you know, I believe I speak for for no pets as well. And when we say, you know, this is what's so beautiful about putting out this information, because it's it's not about us, you know, attempting to be Nostradamus or anything, but it's about education. It's about understanding and spreading knowledge and encouraging people to do their own research and to just to be able to help get information out. As usual, we bring to you the Canopy Realtor Association Weekly Market Activity Report. Now, as the spring market is in full swing and home prices are ticking up, mortgage rates have moved higher in recent weeks as well. Freddie Mac reports that the national average rate for a 30-year fixed rate mortgage rose to 3.17% with an average of 0.6 points, while rates are still below the average of 3.5% for the same week last year. The year-over-year comparison has been tightening in recent weeks. So... In the Charlotte region, for the week ending March 27th, new listings decreased 3.5% year-over-year to 1,230. Pending sales increased 47.6% year-over-year to 1,252. Inventory decreased 66% year-over-year to 3,056. So for Stefan Martin, I am Conrad Bastien. We are going to sign off. And as usual, you guys already know, All I need to hear right now is that theme music.